Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee, the motivating operation to start your week. Hi, I'm Christina Flores, a board-certified assistant behavior analyst. And I'm Natalie, a board-certified behavior analyst. Thanks for tuning in to this episode. We hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 7 of Monday Morning Coffee. So this week, after having Lucy on our previous episode and our own personal experiences, we wanted to talk about what to do when a session is going wrong, when you feel like everything in the session is just an absolute mess, you feel that you have no idea what to do, Um, and we feel that a lot of people have talked about this, have reached out, we've experienced it, so we kind of wanted to just share some of our pointers, tips, experiences, and hopefully that this can help some of you guys who are also experiencing this. Yeah, as a lot of you know, I'm still doing um, one-to-one therapy as a BCABA. Most of my career has been in one-to-one, so I have experienced this a bunch of times with lots of different clients. Um, I would want to say that I'm very lucky that I was able to have a plethora of different clients with different intensity of behaviors from property destruction to from breaking TVs to um, physical aggression to, um, you know, anything and everything in between. So I'm excited about this episode because everybody experiences this. I feel like I watch different videos on Instagram or reels or stories from all these different behavior accounts and they talk about RBT guilt or therapist guilt or BCBA guilt of should I have done this or what I should have done or did I cause this did I do this and um, it needs to be talked about because a lot of people go through it and we're just like oh well you should have done this I feel like there's a lot of like pointing fingers and we're so quick to just judge ourselves when in fact I feel like we need to be more apologetic to ourselves especially in that moment you know Um, in my time that I did supervise for a little bit I always you know affirm what they're feeling it's okay do you need to take a break Um, don't worry. Next time we're going to do this. I like how you did X, Y, and Z. Next time we're going to try to do this because this is going to decrease the behavior or decrease the inappropriate attention seeking, anything like that. Yeah, those are all good points. I think it's also important to have compassion for ourselves, but also our clients. I mentioned this to my therapist all the time, and maybe I've mentioned in a previous episode, but I'll reiterate. I communicate this all the time. So this is a full-time job for us and we're getting paid. This is a full-time job for our clients and they are not getting paid, right? Like we know what the benefit of ABA is, but when you have a client who's, let's say, receiving at most 20 hours and then also gets speech and OT and PT and are in school, like imagine what their day and their week looks like, right? So Mm -hmm. there's just some environmental or setting event that's happening. And that's probably why the session's going wrong. But if we're not showing compassion for what our client is going through, then we're not going to know that. And we're just going in like, nope, uh, this is what I have planned for DTT and I need to run everything. So take a step back, show compassion for yourself and for your client and prioritize the session. What is the priority? Is the priority communicating or is the priority that they can imitate the word that you're saying in that moment? If the priority is communication, then for that session, contrive situations where you can work on communication. Who cares in that moment if they didn't say mommy, right? No, like contrive other situations so that the priority or the focus of that session is being targeted. Exactly. I love all those good points and I'm so happy you brought up setting events because and everything else that goes on with their schedule and their day because 
our clients do have so much going on in our day. And if you think about it, our clients or the population that we mostly work with, they're being told what to do all day. Like they don't really have a lot of choices or free choices to make. So for example, uh, we have, and especially in the past year, like with the pandemic and everything, I mean, it, it has been a lot. So for example, you know, they have school during school, they have speech and OT, maybe even after school, they might have speech and then they have me as ABA. So it's hard, like we don't, they don't even get a break. So I try to think of like my schedule in the day. I get to schedule in my lunch break. I get to schedule in my scroll Instagram break, which is really bad. Like I get to (laughs) schedule in when I need to just take five minutes to just like breathe and they don't. And I think respecting the time that they have breaks. And I understand like, you know, people like to fill in their schedule and there's things that they have to do and there's things that they have to learn. But sometimes they need to take a break, you know, and, and get those things together. And maybe in the session, they're having a bad day. Everybody has bad days, you know, and but bad days are not accompanied by bad people or you know like bad behavior well they are accompanied sometimes by bad behavior but um it reminds me the other day and i like how you said that you know we can't attribute things to just the client it could just be a bad day um the other day i was working with a client and before i got there they had some behavioral issues uh during pe so before i got there even the teacher was like oh you have to go talk to the coach because this happened like already starting the session in a bad, you know, in a negative way. And the, the, my client didn't even want to go to PE because of, I guess, they didn't want to talk to coach. They were embarrassed. You know, they didn't want to tell me what happened. So I said, you know what? I'm here to help you. I'm here to help you and to get through this. You know, and I told the client, sometimes we have bad days. I have, ba- I have bad days. Sometimes we make bad choices and it's okay, but I'm going to go help you and we're going to apologize for what happened, whatever bad choices you made. And then if you apologize with meeting, it's going to make, you know, things better. So let's go talk to coach and, you know, do what we need to do. Now I could have started that in a whole different way. I could have said, what did you do this morning? You know, what choices we're supposed to make, you know, we're supposed to do X, Y, and Z. But instead I took it as, you know what? I respect you. I validate your feelings. Maybe you were having a bad day. Maybe somebody else made you super mad and took the ball <laughs> during P- um, during soccer. But we can always make things better in the future, you know? Yeah. I think that's good. And going back to, like, prioritizing, um, it also goes hand in hand with taking a step back. And in the situation, you as a clinician have the choice to take a step back and say, am I doing more harm than good, right? So – you hear oftentimes like follow through or you're going to reinforce maladaptive behaviors. But I always have my therapist think of, are you doing more harm than good? So let's put the example of the client is plopping on the floor after you presented a demand. So the function is escape. And you have the option to follow through, right? You might physically prompt and have them sit on the chair and hand over hand to touch the color blue. Let's say we're working on receptive ID are you doing good by physically prompting that child or let's say the whole, but I'm going to reinforce it if I allow them to stay on the floor. Yeah. But you're also teaching independence and that if they don't want to do something right now, you can also teach functional communication of like, I don't want to do this right now. Right. Mm -hmm. No, let's make a choice together and do something else. Mm -hmm. So always think, am I doing more harm than good? How can I have my client in this moment? 
engage in a functional response to get the same outcome. So please, guys, if you take anything away from this, it's taking a step back in that moment. If you're about to engage in a behavior yourself as a clinician and physically prompt or hand over hand, just because you think that if not, you're going to reinforce a maladaptive behavior, use that as a teaching moment. Use that as how can I have them engage in an independent skill so that this doesn't happen next time. I love that. Yes. I um, also do that as well. And I took some things, I think, from a, a different um, Instagram account, but I can't remember right now. But one time I was scrolling Instagram and I saw a post about teaching a child to say, this is too hard. I feel like we never do that in ABA. We uh, tell them, let's take a break. Let me do this later. But we never teach them to say like, this is too hard. I need help. And there are certain tasks or things that we do throughout the day that like, you know, we don't have the energy for and it's too hard and it's okay. You know, maybe their setting event was they had a and they just don't have the energy to do certain things during our session. So uh, recently, I incorporated that phrase um, into one of my sessions uh, with uh, a client that I have really high intensity behaviors with, and I pretty much taught the client to say, okay, or redirected the client to say, this is too hard, I need help, you know, or I, and it has decreased a lot of different behaviors like screaming and uh, escape behaviors because now they know as soon as I, they say that I'm going to help, I'm going to shape the behavior as well, which I'm going to try to prov provide at the least amount of prompt as possible, but I'm going to help them, you know, and they can generalize it to their parents and they can generalize it to teachers at school because everybody understands that this is too hard. I need help. You know, another thing I want to talk about is again, setting events. Um, a lot of our clients have other medical issues whether it be with their stomach, whether it be with their muscle tone. Um, and pretty much they maybe have a medical setting event going on and a lot of them can't communicate, right? So we understand when we're having a stomach ache. We understand when we're having a headache, um, but they don't understand that, you know? So a lot of the times I like to ask parents, have they eaten? Have they gone to the bathroom correctly? Have they slept? Do they need a nap? Like all these type of things because that could affect them. And um, uh, recently with a client, I had, uh, he's, well, they started saying, my stomach is grumbling. So we figured out that that meant that that client had a stomach ache. So I knew during that session, maybe I should not place as many demands because this client may need to go to like the bathroom more often or anything like that, you know? So instead of saying like, oh, my stomach hurts, they would just say my stomach is grumbling because they understood like a feeling that something was wrong. So also I think working on those type of setting events and understanding them medically, physically, what's going on with their health could also help decrease, you know, really terrible sessions. And I like that you mentioned that. So I feel like that should be something that we as clinicians do proactively. So mm -hmm. as opposed to waiting for all of these maladaptive behaviors to occur and then like, oh, did something happen that they're acting this way? As soon as you walk in, if you have the opportunity to communicate with a caregiver, that should be the first thing you do is how did this person sleep? Have they eaten? Have they used the bathroom? What did their schedule look like today? right? And that can set the tone of what your session is going to look like, as opposed to going in already with a preset, um, 
amount of targets or what you need to run today. It should be dictated by your client, your client's needs, and what the focus of the session is. So always communicating with caregivers um, so you can identify some of the settings or event, environmental events prior to going into session. Um, I also think it's important that you're communicating with your supervisor. So let's say you're having um, a lot of these quote-unquote difficult sessions maybe it's time that you communicate with your supervisor like are the interventions that you have in place effective right um do you have a method to track what these environmental and setting events look like so for instance for one of my clients that um goes days sometimes a week without defecating there's a lot of maladaptive behaviors that occur when that happens or lack of using the bathroom. So we have a data sheet. So I have the mom and the therapist take data on how many days without defecating in the toilet because we already know day three, self-injury. Day four, we have physical aggression and severe intense tantrums. And then the need of that child is different. So there's a lot of sensory input that takes place. And then around this, and because of this client, I also like what you were talking about, that guilt, that RBT guilt. So I was supervising this specific client and um, it was like day four of not using the bathroom and we are collaborating with the medical professional. They don't see any medical need. Um, so it's kind of like having the client communicate what it is that she needs in that moment. And the therapist was sitting in the sensory room. By the time I got there, she was in the room for like 30 minutes. And the therapist was like, oh, I just want you to know, like, I don't know what to do because if someone walks by and I've been sitting here for an hour and I'm like, okay, hold on. It, it doesn't matter what other people see. Do you know what it is that you're doing and what your client needs? So for instance, right now, the client was grabbing your hand and rubbing it against your arm. So she needed that to feel better, right? So how can we work on that? So she can request, right? So we had her augmentative device having her request for tickles, um, if she needed, if she wanted to stay in the room longer by requesting yes and no. So there were so many targets that we are working on that I just had to have the therapist identify. It doesn't matter if you're sitting at a table for six hours. Did we leave the session with doing more good for the client than harm? Were we addressing the client's needs in that moment, in that day, in that session based on environmental events? Yes, okay. Love that. Yeah, I think a lot of people um, in their sessions attribute their therapist's worth to how much we get done. That is not what we're here for. You know, we're here for progress over time, independence over time, helping quality of life over time, right? We all take data. It's over time to see how much, you know, they've improved. So please don't attribute your worth or to how well your sessions are going. You should be having behaviors during sessions. That's why we're there, you know? But during these, you know, difficult sessions, that's very important. You know, it's okay to just get the little things. It's okay to scale back, you know? I think uh, now we're gonna switch to talking about what you can do as a therapist for yourself during these difficult sessions um, because they are really difficult. They get very stressful. And personally, what I do um, is scale back. So if I see that my client is having a terrible day, that I'm just maybe mildly evoking behaviors that I didn't know I was doing or anything like that, um, I scale back. I scale back demands. I maybe make a break a little bit longer. I give more frequent breaks. 
Um, and I try to see where to, you know, engage. And also to talk about like what the GOAT, Dr. Hanley talks about a lot. If your client engages in a lot of like control behavior, I don't know much, you know, I'm not very well uh, versed in this, but think about that, like the control relationship. Like, is it more important for me to follow through and what I'm doing to try to extinct whatever I'm extincting? Or is it just to like ignore and just like whatever give in? you know, that type of thing, try to engage where your client is at at that exact moment. Because again, like when you're already in that difficult state, you don't want to evoke more and you don't want to reinforce more because then you're going to have a learning history with that client and they're going to know, they're going to try it again, you know, in the next session. Yeah. And just a reminder, you guys, session does not have to take place at a table. <laughs> yeah. Activities. It doesn't have to be with flashcards, picture cards, like <laughs> If your client is, and it, this could be all the time. It doesn't have to be only when they're having a bad day, but enrich mm -hmm. activities with stimuli that they like. Change the, the location. Where do you right. want to be right now? Stop saying work. Like, I don't know how many times I hear, okay, now it's time to work. Let's work. And then we can do what you want. No, sit with me. Let's play together. Which toy do you want? Right? Like those mm -hmm. are all things that we can work on targets without having to be at a table with the same stimuli, like, I guess what I'm trying to say is as a clinician, look around and see what you can modify or change. If you were in the client's perspective and you had the same materials with the same instruction nonstop, how would you feel? And I think in a previous post, I did this before where I was like, just spend 30 seconds and record yourself as if you were in session, right? So for instance, Christina, touch your nose. Christina, clap your hands. Christina, which one is the letter three? Okay, let's work. Three more tokens, and then you can get your iPad. Christina, arms up. Say, ooh, ah. Uh, say, e. Okay, so after playing it back, record yourself and see, okay, how can I work on this in a more naturalistic way? Is there anything that if I was the client, I would be annoyed about, right? Like how many times my name is being called, non-functional targets that are being ran, Probably, right? And especially if it's the same thing every single day. So reflect on what changes you can make um, in the session. Another thing that I wanted to talk about really quickly was setting clear and objective goals. So oftentimes when I was a therapist and now as a supervisor, I see objectives being placed that aren't, that are subjective, right? And aren't very clear, which has this whole circular pattern. So the client might be calming down and they're asking for, you know, I want to go outside. And the therapist might say, okay, once you're calm, we can go outside. And the tantrum happens all over again. And it's as a supervisor, as a clinician, what is calm? That's very subjective. Once you sit in your chair, then we can go outside. Or once you give me your hand, we can go outside. Once you put your shoes on, those are very clear and identifiable goals that you are setting. If the client isn't following through with that, redirecting to ask for help. Help them put their first shoe on, right? Give it to them in their hand. Reinforce approximation. But watch yourself when you see that the tantrum is starting all over again because there aren't very clear and defined objectives as to what the client you're asking the client to do to identify that their tantrum has subsided, right? So once you stop crying, once you're calm, have you ever been in a two hour long like emotional state? And then in order to talk to your mom or whoever it is that's supportive, you have to be completely non-emotional. Like, is that, <laughs> is that, is that, yeah. 
trying to do? Probably not. That's nothing we ever do as adults. <laughs> or like a lot of people do. A lot of people, maybe they get to it like in that state, but no. Like a lot of adults don't do that. Especially like imagine when you're fighting with your significant other, you know, you could have a fight for like three days. <laughs> yeah. So... Yeah, I, I love all those points, and, and I think they're super, super important. And, and I want to bring up, I'm really big into identifying precursor behaviors. Identifying precursor behaviors, identifying that I don't need to be in a tantrum for an hour. Like, to me, that's so aversive as a therapist and for my client. Like, I'm not there to see them be in a, a tantrum for an hour. I'm sorry. Like, we can identify precursor behaviors, redirect, and try, you know, to eliminate all that. Um, I, and I learned that from Dr. Hanley and watching one of his videos, and it just made sense to me, you know? A lot of the times, the first thing we do is just, like, extinction, like, escape extinction. And, and it doesn't have to be that way. It could be with other interventions and procedures. Um, so I just want to say, too, like, as a therapist, when you're going through these difficult sessions, for me, identifying precursor behaviors and trying to redirect as fast as possible is going to make the session better. Number two, identify your precursor behaviors with, you know, your clients. So, and what I mean by that is what setting events or what behaviors that your client engages that then has precursor to your own behavior. What I mean by that is getting frustrated or like uh, huffing around, like, you know, um, maybe getting more, um, anxious. I know these are all like private events that are very hard to define operationally, but seeing, you know, I know when my client starts to disengage in a lot, I mean, engage in a lot of uh, non-compliance, then it starts to affect me, right? So understanding too in your session, taking deep breaths, affirming what you're feeling or affirming saying like, okay, I'm in this session. It might be a little bit bad, but it's only one day afterwards trying to devise a plan of what you're going to do. I'm going to talk to my supervisor. I'm going to try to get new stimuli for next session. I am okay. My client is okay. Um, I am not a bad therapist. Tomorrow is going to be better. They might be having a bad day. You know, never attribute all their behaviors to you. There's so many things going on in the environment that it doesn't have to be your fault, you know, and that's really big. And just doing different things to help and see and, and just it's scaling back. Every, every session is going to be different. And that's one thing that I love about this job. You know, we may have difficult ones, but later on next week, we may have amazing ones and every session is going to help towards the goal, you know? Yeah, I like that. Um, so kind of to recap, I know we went in a lot of different directions, um, <laughs> but recapping of everything that we said, First of all, this is our personal experiences and things that we've witnessed. Mm -hmm. This isn't meant to replace any sort of supervision or guidance. So if you're having these difficult sessions often, I highly recommend that you speak to your supervisor. Maybe there's some interventions and things that also have to be changed. And it's not just things that you can directly do if these are things that are constantly happening. But always focus on the priority, right? What is the priority? Whether it's communication, whether it's safety, um, the second is identifying if you're doing more harm than good. If you notice you're doing more harm than good and that you don't necessarily need to be physically prompting your child or your client in that moment, take a step back and reevaluate the situation. Knowing when to ask for help, right? If your supervisor is present, if you're in a clinical setting and there's supportive staff present, you don't need to take this on by yourself. Know at what moment you need to ask for help so it doesn't get worse, right? 
communication. So proactively communicating with caregivers, with um, the school, if you're walking into a school session, um, and your supervisor, right? Um, setting clear and objective goals. So when do you know when they have met criteria, right? So we don't want to use language like when you're calm, when you stop crying, when you use a nice voice. Um, no, clear and objective targets or goals, right? Um, and overall, having fun, right? <laughs> so if you're having mo a lot of sessions like this, take a step back and see how you can- You can always switch it up. Always switch it up. <laughs> right? Um, but yeah, I think the takeaway is- this happens to everyone, or at least I yes. think most people that we've talked to have had sessions where yes. everything that could possibly gone wrong has gone <laughs> wrong. I think yes. session, something that I do is I reflect and I always try to, what was something that I could have done differently and how am mm -hmm. I going to address this if this were to happen again? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and make sure after session you really hone in on that self-care or taking care of yourself, your mental state, physical, health-wise. You know, even if, let's say I have a bad session in the middle of the day and I have one more after, I'm listening to, like, music that's going to pump me up for next session. I'm not going to bring my previous session into my next session because that's going to do more harm than good towards my next client, you know? So just make sure that you're taking care of yourself, you're resting after, you know, because that's just, you don't want that to affect your next day as well. But thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed. If you have any tips or tricks for your difficult sessions, please hit us up in our DM on Instagram at Onward Behavior. Make sure to hit that subscribe and follow button on your Apple and Spotify podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts to get a response prompt to listen to our next episode. Until next time, keep moving onward and pay it forward. Bye.